1: Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, back in New York City for the time being. But this weekend, I will be back in New Jersey once again, shooting for the gold bracelets in the uh, World Series of Poker Online, asterisk, does this really even count, series. Uh, (laughs) Let's start with that. I think that based on the competition level, that I have seen in these bracelet events because we are playing against the best players in Las Vegas uh, as well as throughout the state of Nevada and New Jersey. The, The competition is pretty tough. I'm not going to say that the games, these bracelet events are anywhere near the competition level in your typical $25 tournament on America's Card Room, which to me is the toughest site to play on. But you guys know I was dabbling. I dipped my toe in the WSOP.com waters as early as late March, early April, I want to say, when I was first looking to find a way to play legal, regulated online poker. And I reported back then to all of you that the games were ridiculously soft. It was kind of... uh, Laughable how crazy some of the play was on that site, as well as Party Poker, New Jersey. Not so much anymore. Uh, things have gotten much tougher. I mean, of course, you're still going to have a certain percentage of amateur recreational players, uh, fun players, whatever you would like to call them, that will make the big mistake here and there. But by and large, these bracelet events have been fairly tough. Now, there's no way to compare apples to oranges. I mean, for one thing, the buy-ins. The typical weekend tournament in, at the Rio would be something like $1,500, right? And these events, some of them are $400. Bucks. Now, there are a few very uh, small buy-in tournaments in a typical summer in Vegas, But mostly they're $1,000 and up, whereas that's kind of the high end of the uh, New Jersey, Nevada events that are happening here in July. So you can't compare that. And also just the sheer lack of European opponents makes a huge difference. And so I do think that all of these bracelets are going to have to have some kind of the word, an asterisk, or just a, by the way, yeah, he's a bracelet winner, but also just FYI, it was that COVID summer when there was no live poker and everybody played online. And some of them were on an international site with players from everywhere but the United States. (laughs) And some of them were with just two of the states. So it feels a little strange calling this a World series of poker when, in fact, it's actually just two of the 48 states. Uh, But, you know, that it is what it is. And I hate that expression. I'm sorry, I just used it. But the fact is, uh, there's nothing else they can do. They could have said that this series is not going to be an actual World Series of Poker official series, and then that would have just cost them money, right? Because a lot of the players who are spending each and every day trying to win one of these bracelets throughout the month of July, they might not have otherwise played. You know, I don't think you're going to find Phil Helmuth <laughs> out here on these online streets unless there's a bracelet up for grabs. He's just not an online player. Same for Negrano. I mean, he plays a little bit more, especially because he has a financial interest in GG poker. But some of the players that uh, a lot of us look forward to seeing online wouldn't be there were it not for the fact that this is an official bracelet event and would go down on your statistics so every time somebody introduces you for the rest of your life they'll say you know world series of poker bracelet winner you know whatever your name here so i i do think that that is part of the appeal and you can argue that you know the the bracelet has gotten so diluted over the years there used to be so few of them and now it's You know, it feels like it's much easier than ever to get a bracelet. And I would argue, I would push back against that because I'm telling you, I've been playing in some of these tournaments and it's not easy. You know, one day you've got Eric Baldwin on your left and Jamie Kerstetter on on your right. And across the, the table from you is Joseph Chung. You know, and it's pretty easy to find out who your opponents are, even though everybody likes to use cute little screen names. By the way, that reminds me, let me digress here because I'm getting a lot of emails and tweets, what is your screen name, what is your screen name? And I have no qualms about telling you guys, I don't try to hide my identity online. Uh, On most sites, my screen name is Clayton Comic. When I tried to sign up for WSOP.com New Jersey, I was unable to use Clayton Comic because you have to have a different username for WSOP.com New Jersey than you do for Nevada. So when I've played in bracelet events during the actual World Series of Poker at the Rio in previous years, I used my usual name, Clayton Comic, which is also my Twitter handle and how you can find me on everything, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever. Uh, That's that's just the name that I like to use everywhere. So uh, if you're looking for me, if you're on ACR... Or uh, if I'm playing WSOP.com in Nevada, or if I'm on another site that I recently joined, Bet Online, it's Clayton Comic. Uh, for these bracelet events, because I'm playing them in New Jersey, it's Clay Fletch, which I regret. That's not a great name, but I want people to know that I'm playing. I don't like to hide behind a screen name online, and I don't think that any of us should. If anything, I hope that if anybody knows who I am, they might say, oh, it's cool that I got to play with that comedian guy, or they might say, well, I've heard that he's pretty good at poker and has a podcast, so I might get like a little bit of intimidation from it. Uh, I don't see any value in trying to conceal my identity online. I don't see any point in that I'm not trying to do that, and I've noticed that a lot of players are with me. Uh, Jeff Gross is notable. His screen name is Jeff Gross. (laughs) Uh, I've seen quite a few others as well. So that's that. But speaking of well-known players that some might look forward to seeing online, uh, Mike the Mouth Matisell got in trouble this week. Uh, I want to just address what he did kind of quickly because it kind of gives... Streamer's a bad name. It's it, it, it's not good. Uh, so for those who missed the story, he was live streaming and he's trying to promote his home game. So I don't even know how home games work. i you guys know I'm not really the the computer savvy um, internet pro like many of our coaches that I've interviewed here on the podcast. They, they know more about this stuff than I do. But apparently, Mike Matisau has some kind of home game. And uh, he he uses Twitch or YouTube to promote that while he's live streaming bracelet events. And I don't know if it was the very first hand or really close to the very first hand. And he got into a pot where he basically bluffed. He had nothing and he ran into aces and he was upset that his opponent didn't snap call. Um, you know, first of all. On the very first hand of a tournament, which I think this was, but it was definitely level one. If it wasn't the first hand, it was one of the first hands of the tournament. Mike decided to try to pull off a huge bluff and ran into pocket aces. So I think when you have so many big blinds like these WSOP events, they start you really, really deep. Something like two or three hundred big blinds in some cases uh, calling off with just one pair is not an automatic snap decision. Um, Basically, the board was something like 10-9-6-6-deuce, and Mike shoves. Uh, I think he had ace-queen, so he's basically drawing dead when he gets it in on the turn. And his opponent tanks for a short time, maybe 15 seconds to call. Well, when Mike sees the aces, he starts going on and on about it how it was a slow roll, and and then he started getting political, like, you know, these liberals uh, ruining America, and just, I mean, I don't know, he just, uh, look, I've met Mike the Mouth once or twice, Uh, I I didn't really want to meet him, I just happened to be with people that he was around, I'm not a fan of his, I don't really uh, enjoy his antics, and I don't think that he's good for the game, I do think it's important to have villains and heroes in the game, and I think that one way to attract more viewers to poker is if we actually have personalities. Uh, but I, I feel that Mike's antics are, you know, beyond what we need, you know, um, especially in this case. So he starts threatening the player's life. I mean, he's sexist, so he immediately assumes his opponent must be a male. So he's saying, you know, if I ever meet this guy, I'm going to knock his head in. He starts basically threatening the guy and then asking all of his Twitch viewers or YouTube viewers. I don't know which platform he was on to find out who this person is. Like this is the person's screen name. Find out who he is. And if I ever meet him, I'm going to mess him up. And, you know, he's basically threatening the guy's life. So Mike the Mouth, obviously totally out of line here. And I'm sure that whatever platform he was on has some kind of rule against threatening physical violence uh, and harassment like that. So he goes one step further and says, hey, if anybody knows who this person is, I'll give you an extra $50 when you sign up for my home game. Okay, so normally when you sign up, you get a $200 bonus and then he was going to give $250 to the person that could reveal the true identity Of this horrible human being whoever this guy is that slow-rolled me well come to find out it was actually an amateur player and a female so at that point Mike should have apologized and said look I, I I'm out of line I'm sorry I lost my temper please don't harass this person online you know I man or woman I shouldn't be threatening people but really I think you know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but as a man, the idea that I would have threatened physical harm against a woman is somehow worse than if I had threatened physical harm against another man. I know some of you won't agree with that because of modern day gender politics and feminism and stuff. And, and I respect your point of view, but to me, I I wouldn't really threaten either a male or a female, but I would think it's it's worse to threaten a female Uh, but either way, I don't think what he did is cool, but instead he's, he doubles down on it and starts using the C word. And, you know, he did apologize later, but Mike, the mouth deserves to be slow rolled. (laughs) So I'm actually hoping that this weekend I, I am seated at one of his tables and I can make a really strong hand against him and then just use my time bank to slow roll him because, you know, I just, I don't like, what he's, what he represents and what, and what he's doing. Now, there is a faction of, of poker Twitter that feels we should not fight fire with fire. And that, you know, a lot of people agree with me. They want to slow roll him and teach him a lesson or, or just let him know how uncool what he did was to us. Uh, and and I, I understand that, that point of view. And I, I normally like to take the high road, but I guess just because all of the years that I've watched Mike, the mouth be such a terrible ambassador for the game. uh, You know, he's a degenerate. He's, he's got a drug problem. He's got this problem. He's got now they're trying to tell me he's got psychological issues, mental problems. You know, I don't know, maybe I should be more sympathetic to him, but to me, once you cross the line, and start using the C word and threatening somebody. And, you know, he, he went on. I'm not going to repeat everything that he said. Uh, as I said before, he did apologize. He got caught up in the moment, whatever. But to me, just, I don't even have that gear. On my worst day, no matter how angry I am, I wouldn't start throwing around that kind of language against a man or a woman under any circumstances. So, you know, let me know what you guys think about this. I know it's been a couple of days and it might be old news by now, anyway. But, I think that those of us that are trying to promote the game need to stand up against this kind of behavior because it's already tough enough for amateur players to kind of come into a world where there's a lot of inside jokes and a lot of the pros just seem to feel like the amateurs don't deserve the time of day and uh, don't make them feel welcome at the table. And I think that's generally three or 400% more true for the new females In the game. It's it's troublesome to me. So I don't like it and I'm ready to slow roll him at my very next opportunity. So I'm just hoping that I get a chance uh, to do that this weekend. I hope to be up on Twitch at some point this weekend. I do have my new laptop. It's working. I have it set up. I don't have the Twitch studio or whatever it's called installed yet and I may need some help doing that. So if anybody is good at those sort of things and can set me up. I'd like to either be able to hide my cards from the viewers or better yet, just do the whole thing on a pretty long delay. I don't know how to do either of those things. So if anybody out there is uh, skilled and wants to, uh, (laughs) I don't know, instead of tipping me, I don't have a Patreon, but I do bring you this content every week. And if you're good at these sort of things and you can help me out with that, Uh, please get in touch via Twitter at Clayton comic. And it would be greatly appreciated. Otherwise, if I don't hear from anyone, I'm just going to try to set this thing up myself and see if I can get it going. Also, I will be doing commentary with David Tuckman for the final table this Saturday, July 11th. So whatever time that final table starts, David Tuckman and I will be bringing you all the action virtually. So I hope you guys will tune in for that And I hope that I actually have to cancel because I'm playing that final table, but we we shall see I believe Saturday will be the six hundred dollar six max or maybe it's a five hundred dollar six max Whatever it is. I'll be playing it. And if I bust before the end, I'll be in there with Tuck. All right, so let's Talk about I want to switch gears a little bit get away from WSOP.com a little bit because I have been in New York now for a few days and the other night I had a very deep run. I got third place out of 267 players in a $22 tournament on Bet Online, which, uh, you know, they're not paying me to promote them or anything. But I want to tell you that I had no trouble cashing out and getting my money when I had a, a good score on there a few weeks ago. It just took a couple of days. I used Bitcoin, so that was not a problem. Uh, and also, I find the games to be uh, considerably softer than other sites that I've been using of late. So again, I'm not an affiliate. They're not. They're not sponsoring this podcast. But I'm just passing along some information. If you are in the states that don't offer regulated legal Online poker, I would suggest bet online as a possible place for you to look. Um, the fields are small. I've never seen a tournament on there with more than three or four hundred players. Uh, the tournaments tend to take about six or seven hours. Uh, a lot of the players are, let's say, still learning the ropes as far as uh, tournament strategies in No Limit Texas Hold'em. So, there seems to be a good opportunity to make some money there. Uh, so yeah, try it out and let me know what, what you think. My username on BetOnline is Clayton Comic, And if you're at my table, please say hello. Always appreciated. All right, so let's talk about a hand that I played in this $22 tournament. So this hand comes from the 200-400 level. There is a 50 ante and we're playing eight-handed. So it's kind of towards the middle of the tournament. There are 128 players left. The average stack is around 20,000. Uh, so we're currently in 40th place with 28,000 in our stack. So, you know, well above average, but not exactly you know, running over the field. Looking good, though. Uh, We have plenty of chips to work with. Our M is 28, and so we have all of our options at our disposal. Our table is, as I said, eight-handed. It's also mostly loose and mostly passive. Uh, Not too many three bets, especially light three bets. Uh, Not a whole lot of bluffing going on. of a really good situation so a fun table to be at for sure and i have the kind of hand you want at a table like this i'm in the low jack two folds to me and so eight handed We're the low jack in third position holding pocket fives i mean you know what guys you can even limp in with this if you want to because your opponents are so loose and so passive that you're you're actually I mean, there are a couple of good players at the table. Let me not overstate it. It's not like a dream table. But for the most part, you don't expect a bunch of limps to get raised by like a maniacal small blind or whatever. So, yeah, I think limping is actually fine here. I don't really use limping as a a huge part of my strategy at eight-handed tables. I just go ahead and make the minimum open raise. But if you would limp here, I think that's totally fine. I'm just not a fan of folding here. I just think this is too good a spot with fives in middle position at a table like this one. You know, I mean, what we're looking to do, obviously, is flop a set, which is why limping is okay because if if it comes like queen, five, deuce, if you're up against anybody with a queen, you're probably going to get that player's whole stack. Limping is fine, but raising is also okay. So I make it 800, and the player on my immediate left in the hijack who is a recreational player he's been involved in probably about half the pots so far in the tournament he's not going to be putting us into too many god-awful situations he calls and that doesn't really bother me at all i don't really mind being out of position versus a player like this one so uh, what his call means though I mean, ranging him is really difficult because, as I mentioned, he's involved in a lot of pots. But I certainly wouldn't rule out like a Jack-9 offsuit, possibly even an 8-7 offsuit. Any pair, of course, any ace, uh, you know, really loose player. So uh, he's got a very wide range. And the one thing that's really hard to do against players like this one is narrow their range because they just play so many hands. Then it folds all the way to the big blind, who's probably the... Most experienced opponent that I have. Uh, he's on the site pretty much every time I log on. Plays a lot of 20 to $50 tournaments. Seems to know what he's doing. I had copious notes on this player that balanced and professional. So the good news is we're in position versus him. So the three of us see a flop and there's 3,000 now in the pot. Oh, by the way, the big blind, we have him covered. He's got 25,000 to our 28,000. So the flop comes, queen, six, four, rainbow. Queen of diamonds, six of spades, four of hearts. Again, hero holding pocket fives. So we have a pair between middle and bottom pair. Uh, We also have a backdoor straight draw or two. So not a whole lot. Here, But it's not exactly hopeless. We could have the best hand. So the big blind checks, as I think he will do with his entire range. Uh, I could bet here. I think betting is defensible. You know, you can pretty much expect to take it down when you're good, when you bet. The problem is you can never get any better hand to fold. You might get worse to call, uh, especially the player on my left. He would probably call... If he had a four in his range, he might even call with Ace Ten, Ace Jack, Ace King, and other hands that we're currently beating, but that have decent equity against us. Um, he would probably call with any gut shot. So I didn't feel like betting. Here was was the best way to get value. So I just go ahead and check. The player in position bets fifteen hundred into three thousand, and the big blind folds. So. Now we're facing a half pot bet with our pair of fives. Now, if you told me you always fold in this situation, like the whole point of getting involved with these fives was to try to hit a set. And now that you don't have a set, you just go ahead and throw it away. uh, That's totally fine. You're getting three to one on a call. You're probably good about 25% of the time. But that doesn't really account for the uh, future betting that may or may not happen. And this is what tips the scale for me. I don't expect this opponent to triple barrel me unless he's got like three queens. I think he might take a stab at this one here. And even when he has something like a six that's beating us or a pair between queens and sixes that's beating us, I don't expect him to fire. And if he does fire, I don't expect him to fire big. I think the only time this player is going to put in a whole lot of chips is when we're really beat and then we can just fold. So that combined with the fact that I can pick up equity on the turn, there are a lot of cards that will give us a straight draw. Uh, We still may well have the best hand just because he's betting doesn't mean that we're no good. Like I think he would make this bet with like ace four, which we're ahead of at the moment. So all things considered, I think this is a close decision here on the flop, but I decided to go ahead and put in a call If you want to check-raise this, that's also fine. I think you'll take it down a lot with the check-raise. But remember, he's never folding a queen. So the problem with check-raising is you just end up building a much bigger pot out of position against a player who's just not going to fold. Uh, He probably would fold a hand like pocket sixes or sevens, but if he has queen ten or queen nine or any queen at all, I just don't think you're, you're going to get him to fold his hand. Under any circumstances. So uh, that's why I chose not to check raise. Just because he does have all the queens in his range. So <laughs> maybe not all. like Maybe not queen deuce. But he plays a lot of hands. So yeah it's close. But we go ahead and elect to call. And now we get to see a turn. Versus a pretty bad player. Heads up. And with 6,000 in the pot the turn is the seven of hearts yeah good card for me here um gives us a open-ended straight draw to go along with our pair of fives this is one of the reasons why I decided to hang around for one more street now you could donk lead this if you want I I considered just betting the uh, check call lead is a line that tends to confuse a lot of good players but I think that because recreational players generally don't think too much about what my bets mean and what my decisions mean. They just tend to play their cards. I, again, I think that leading here is, is, uh, is defensible. But I, I chose not to do it just because, again, we're never getting him to fold a queen. So leading out doesn't really accomplish much. He probably wouldn't even fold a six yeah, I don't really think he has too many sevens in his range. I can't imagine. like I don't think that he would have bet a hand like seven eight on the flop uh, seven five maybe, but i I just don't well we block that first of all. I, I don't I'm not really sure that that's going to be a big part of his range on the flop. So yeah, it feels to me like he doesn't really have a seven, but if he does, he's not gonna fold if we if we lead here on the turn. So we can't really get him to fold too many better hands. And we're mostly getting him to fold the hands that we're already beating. So that's why I chose to just check. I think that I have a a decent chance of still being good here on the turn. And best of all, I can afford to call because now I have an open ender. So unless he like pots it or something here on the turn, we can pretty much call any reasonable bet that, This opponent makes. So I do check. And villain checks behind. So at that point. I think it's pretty easy to. Narrow his range down. I don't think that he would check. With with a queen. So now I think that he's probably got. A four. Or maybe something like a six. Possibly. Even a pocket pair. Really he could have any pocket pair. Deuces. Nines. Tens. Uh, But just probably not any hand with a queen or anything that would beat that. So he's pretty much capped his range here with the check on the turn because this particular opponent would have bet again with a queen or better. Now, I'm not talking about a solver here, guys. I'm not talking about GTO and I'm not talking about what a player in his shoes should do with his full range. I'm just talking about exploitatively how I would play against a player like this one uh, his actions are much more revealing because he doesn't concern himself with balance and this is very important when you're playing on some of these websites where a lot of your opponents are not studying the game very hard you have to realize that their actions are much more pure so he's not trying to get tricky he's not making some kind of Oh, I think I have ace-queen here, but just check it back so that Clayton will bluff the river. That's just not really a part of this player's strategy. If he thinks he's winning, he's betting. And if he's not sure, he's checking. And so that's kind of where he's at here on the turn. So he makes it easy on us by not betting the turn, and we get to see the river for free. And that river is the four of clubs, which pairs the board. So your final board is queen, six, four, seven, four. And we end up with two hearts. The turn brought a backdoor heart flush draw that did not come in, for what that's worth. So we still have our fives. And with the board pairing, normally we like to see the board pair because it's less likely that our opponent has one of those cards. And so whatever the situation was on the turn is also the situation on the river so uh, in this case with the four pairing you know I just think he has a lot of fours in his range so he bets bottom pair on the flop and then checks it back on the turn and then makes three of a kind here on the river so normally when I have a marginal hand like the one I have in this spot I'm happy to see the board pair because it really doesn't change anything very often But in this particular case, I felt like ace-four or possibly four-three, these are hands that would be in this particular opponent's range. So possibly even four-deuce suited, believe it or not. That's how loose this player was. So with that in mind, I'm less excited to see the board pair than I would normally be holding two fives in this spot. So I don't want to bet my hand You know, I haven't really taken an aggressive action since I raised pre-flop. It looks like I don't have a whole lot here. So I need to keep that in mind because even the worst player can see that all I've done is check and call, check, and now here on the river I'm going to check again. We need to balance the fact that we don't necessarily like the four with the fact that there are so many hands in this player's pre-flop calling range that you can't just put him on a four. And that's really monsters under the bed thinking. So we've got to figure it out. We check again and I'm really hoping he checks it back and we can just, you know, win very often with our fives. Instead, he bets 1500 into 6000. So this bet offers us 5 to 1 pot odds. So to me it's a very simple math problem. Is my hand good one time out of 6. That's what you need to break even on a call. When you're getting 5-1. to one. Well, against a really talented player that might kind of have a feel for where I'm at range-wise. He might use a bet sizing like this to try to get me to call when he's got us beat. You know, really good players know how to milk you and get maximum value for their hands. Like a, a great player would be able to range me and know that putting in a big bet is stupid because I can't really call with the type of hand that I have. So there's one school of thought that says you should be afraid of this tiny bet for that reason. But again, I think for me, going back to who is my opponent, how does he approach the game, and what's ki- what kind of thinking does he do, I just didn't really give him credit for being able to play the milkman like that. So <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, all things considered, it wasn't an easy call but I decided to go ahead and take the incredible price he was giving me. I felt like the fives would be good more often than 20% of the time. So if that's true, then this is a, a clear call. So I make the call and my opponent turns over pocket deuces. Yeah, that's the kind of play you'll see on this site, guys. I mean, that's a really bad play. In his shoes, holding pocket deuces, I think... You know, calling pre flop is fine. And then, you know, I guess stabbing at the pot isn't bad. But once you get called, you really do need to shut it down. Uh, You know, he has a certain amount of showdown value anyway. I suppose, like, I could have, well, I mean, what could I have on this flop that he can beat? I guess there's really nothing. Everything got there, right? 8 7 made a pair, 7 5 made a pair, 5 3 made a straight five eight made a straight yeah there aren't really that many hands that he's beating so in that sense bluffing the river turning your deuces into a bluff does kind of make sense but if you're gonna bluff you know you need to polarize yourself more you know i don't know what hand he's trying to get me to fold but i'm really not folding any hand that he's not beating (laughs) that was confusing What I mean is he can't get me, his bluff can't work because I would probably even call this bet with pocket threes or any hand that beats deuces. So uh, it's a bad bet. Now, if he sizes up a little bit here on the river, then I can really consider, okay, so he's got something strong and now he's going for value. Maybe he played it tricky, made a set on the turn with a hand like pocket sevens. Made three of a kind and just like froze up. You'll see that a lot, especially amateur players. They see an unexpected gin card and then you just check because they don't want to lose their opponents and that's okay. So if he bets like 3,500 or 4,000 into 6,000 here on the river, I could consider folding my fives. But, you know, given the price and given the opponent and what I know about his approach to the game, I decided to make the call. And I was thrilled to see those deuces. This put me into the uh, top 15 in chips. And from there, I just went on a really extremely good run of cards and arrived at the final table. Number one in chips. So as you guys know, that's important to me. I went crazy on the bubble of this tournament. And uh, especially on the final table bubble because it seemed like it was even tighter than the, uh, the actual money bubble for whatever reason. So that'll do it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed my thoughts and opinions about the WSOP, about Mike Matisau, and of course about our strategy hand. Feel free to give your comments, your thoughts, anything at all at Clayton Comic. Always great to hear from you guys the good, the bad and The Ugly. And also, while we're at it, why don't you subscribe to Tournament Poker Edge where you can find virtually endless content all about multi-table tournaments, sit-and-go strategy, heads-up tournament strategy, some of the best coaches, some of the best teachers, some of the best minds in poker. We're talking Andrew Brokus, Alex Fitzgerald, Colin Moshman, Daryl Jace. Now, of course, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we interviewed the brilliant whiskey deck jared smith and he is now making videos for tpe and he's been crushing it online lately so uh definitely want to get involved it's not expensive you can get a membership for as little as 25 dollars a month so visit www.tournamentpokeredge.com so for everyone here at tpe i'm clayton fletcher thank you so much for listening